Today we focus on the cross, but the shadow of the cross reaches all the way to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord, they were separated from their relationship to him. And the Bible says that God slew a lamb foreshadowing the death of Jesus. When the Hebrews were in Egyptian bondage, they began to cry out asking the Lord for deliverance. And the Bible heard their prayer. You know that in order to deliver them, the Lord began to send plagues. And the last plague that he sent was the death of the firstborn. And he said to the Hebrews, Now, I want you to take a lamb and slay the lamb, take the blood and put on the doorpost. And when the death angel sees the blood, then he will pass over you foreshadowing the sacrifice that would be made by Jesus. The book of Psalms oftentimes refers to the cross. In Psalm 22, verse 16, it says, They pierced my hands and my feet. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, they pierced my hands and my feet. Today we look at the cross. If you'll take your Bibles, turn with me, please, to John chapter 19. Beginning in verse number 14, now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. They therefore cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he then delivered him to them to be crucified. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in, is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. As we consider our text this morning, let's begin by asking the reason for the cross. Why did Jesus die? I read an article that said, if one wants to learn law, go to Harvard. If one wants to learn engineering, go to Georgia Tech. If one wants to learn medicine, go to Tulane. But if one wants to learn about the love of God, go to Calvary. You see, it is the cross that gives evidence of God's love and God's provision for mankind. The Bible says that we all are sinners. It is a universal dilemma. All of us face it. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible tells us that all of us have sinned against God. Some years ago, Billy Sunday was holding a crusade in a large city. So he wrote to the mayor of the city and said, If you know of people who might need the Lord, would you send me their names and I will pray for them? He was surprised when the mayor sent him the directory of the, uh, the telephone directory of that city. But it says that we all are sinners. We all are in the same boat. None of us is righteous. And ladies and gentlemen, we are all sinners and our sin is unbearable. I was reading in my devotion time this morning and happened to be in Ezekiel and came to chapter 6 verse number 9. They will loathe themselves in their own sight for the evil which they have committed. 
You see, we are all sinners, and our sin is unbearable. I was watching television the other night. The Outsiders, I believe, was the name of the program. But it was focused on pornography and the pornographic industry. And the narrator was talking, or the interview was stating, that, that there are so many in that industry who try to distance themselves from what they do so they become addicted to drugs and addicted to alcohol and so forth, simply trying to distance themselves from their actions, from what they do. Because you see, sin is unbearable. Martin Luther had an incredible sense of sin in his life. And he did everything he could to eradicate that sin. He paid penance. He went on pilgrimages. He did all of those things because of the sense of sin that he had. We see people today who go on pilgrimages to holy sites trying to alleviate the sin from their lives. And I would imagine this morning there are some of you who have that same sense of sin in your life. And oh, how you would like to be rid of it. We are sinners, but our sin is unbearable. And so the cross dealt with our sin. It dealt with our separation. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 59, 2, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. You see, ladies and gentlemen, we were created by God, and we were created for God. One theologian said that man is made with a God-like blank. There is a blank within us in the form of God, and the only thing that can satisfy it is God himself. Sometimes we try to fill it with other things, with success, with money, with alcohol, and with drugs, but there is a God-like blank because you have been made by God and you have been made for God, but we have been separated by our sin. And so the cross deals with our separation. It deals with our salvation. Colossians 2.14, Paul wrote, Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, and which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. In Paul's time, the word debt that is used there, was in reference to an IOU that had been personally signed and was a legal obligation. Paul said the debt of sin, a personal and legal obligation, has been canceled at the cross. Folks, can you imagine having a loan at the bank and receiving something through the mail that said the debt has been canceled? But that's what happened at the cross. The scripture says that when Jesus died on the cross that he canceled our debt and took it away, removing it as far as the east is from the west. Jesus' cross provides our salvation. So what is the reason for it? The cross deals with our sin, deals with our separation, provides our salvation. But then we see the reality of the cross in verse 16. So he then delivered him to them to be crucified. The movie The Passion was criticized because it was too bloody. In other words, it was too real. Let me tell you, you and I cannot imagine the suffering of the cross. And the suffering was real. 
Jesus suffered physically, spiritually, emotionally. There were three political charges brought against Jesus in Luke 23, 2. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ a king. Those are three political charges. They said he is misleading our nation. Because the Galileans were prone to sedition, that was easy to believe. But the fact is, Jesus had taught respect for government and office holders. He has forbidden his followers to pay taxes. Well, that wasn't true either. Jesus said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. He claims to be king. The accusation there is if Jesus claimed to be king, then he required loyalty for himself, not to Caesar. There were three political charges. There was one religious charge in verse number 7. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the Son of God. That was the real charge. He made himself out to be the Son of God. That is still the charge against Jesus, his deity. The world can accept him as a teacher. The world can accept him as a person who did good. But it is a matter of his deity. He claimed to be the Son of God. Charges were filed. Witnesses were called. Not much of a case, however. In verse number 4, Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Pilate, the judge, said, I have thoroughly interrogated this man. I have looked at the charges you have brought, and I find no guilt in him. He has done nothing worthy of death. Judas recanted in Matthew 27, verses 3 and 4. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Judas, who betrayed Jesus, I have sinned. He is innocent. The Roman centurion who watched him die, truly, this was the Son of God. But the verdict was to crucify him. Isn't that interesting? I thoroughly examined him, find him not guilty. Judas, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. The Roman centurion, truly, this man was the Son of God. And they gave him up to die. Jesus suffered incredible Physical pain as well, they mocked him. Matthew twenty-seven, twenty-nine, and after weaving a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they kneeled down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. I have been many times to Pilate's pavement, a place where he was tried and so forth. What they are saying is that you claim to be a king, well, you need a crown. We'll provide you one. And they made a crown out of thorns as they mocked him. Matthew continues, and they spat on him. I don't know why, but I think that 
one statement probably touches my heart as much as any, that they spat on him. The Son of God who had come to die for mankind. And they spat on him. What an incredible insult to God. They spat on him. They beat him. Matthew continues, and they took the reed and began to beat him on the head. I have a, an American Medical Associational Journal from March 1986. The reason I've kept it is because it gave a clinical analysis of Jesus' death, and they mentioned the seven-inch spikes the work of insects and birds on the victim's eyes, ears, and nose, blood loss, infection, mutilation. His suffering was real. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, it was real. His shame was real. Today we celebrate the cross. We wear pieces of jewelry in the shape of a cross, but the fact is it was an instrument of shame. And it was an instrument of shame because one who died on the cross was considered to be cursed. The scripture says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Folks, we have the tendency today to somewhat glamorize the crucifixion, but know that it was a shameful death reserved for the vilest of criminal. And the one who died on the cross was considered to be cursed. He was stripped of his clothes and hung naked before the world, dying for our sin. His separation was real. He hung suspended between heaven and earth, separated from both. His mother was there, but there's no mention of other family members. John was there, but the other disciples had fled, trying to protect their own lives. Even his heavenly father forsook him. The scripture says in Matthew 27, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Suspended between heaven and earth. Rejected by both. The reality of the cross. Suffering. Shame. And separation. But then there's the redemption of the cross because it's through the cross we find redemption. It was there that he purchased our pardon. Ephesians 1, 7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood. In him we have redemption through his blood. What does that mean? Well, folks, it means that we, first of all, are justified. The scripture says in Romans 3, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means that Jesus Christ paid for our sins 
And we are justified by His blood. The word justified is a legal term, and it means that we have been declared as just. That I'm just. Not because I am worthy of anything. Not because I am deserving. But the Bible says when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, then I am justified. I am counted as being just by the judge. I am sanctified. The scripture says in Hebrews 10, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So the scripture says that by the cross, the, 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 the sacrifice of Christ that I am justified, I am counted as being just. And the scripture says that I am sanctified. Now, sanctification is an event. When I put my faith in Christ, then I am set apart from the world to God. But it also is a process. The Lord begins to work in my life now that I know Him, now that I have been redeemed, now that I am a new person. The Lord begins to work in my life, convicting me of this sin and this sin and this sin, that I might put those sins out of my life, that I am being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, which is God's will for you. So the scripture says that as a result of putting my faith in Christ, that I am justified, I am counted as being just by God. That I'm sanctified, I am set apart from the world to God. And the Lord begins this process in my life that I am being conformed to the image of Jesus. And then it means that I am glorified. In Romans 8.30, whom he justified, these he also glorified. You know, the reason that I like that verse in particular is that it leaves no doubt. Those who are justified are glorified. It's not those who are justified. We hope if we hang on, we're going to be glorified. Those who are justified are glorified. It means one day I'm going to heaven. People sometimes think when you say that, well, that's a little presumptuous. Not if your faith is in the Lord. Because that's what he provides. So what does the cross mean then? It means that he purchased my pardon, that I have been justified, I have been sanctified, I have been glorified. One day I go to heaven. He also purchased our peace at the cross. Romans 5, 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the scripture says that those who have been justified by faith have the peace of God. Do you have the peace of God? Because see, the world wants peace. My goodness, how much money do we spend on medications because we desire peace in our life? And the Bible says that we have peace. Those who have been justified by faith have peace with God. Let me mention four evidences of his peace in our lives. First of all, we lose our fear of God. When we have been justified, when we know the Lord, we lose our fear of God. We have the peace of God. Lose our fear of God. Folks, when there is unresolved sin in our life, there is a sense of fear towards God. You remember when Adam and Eve sinned? They hid themselves because they were fearful. 
But the Bible teaches us that when we have been justified, sanctified, going to be glorified, that we lose our fear of God. We no longer live in fear because that's our father. Now, I had great respect for my dad. But I always knew that he wanted the best for me. And the same thing is true with my heavenly father. I'm concerned that I don't do things that are displeasing to him, but I still know that he wants what's best for me. So we lose our fear of God. We lose our fear of death. I read a story about um, Stalin who was terrified of death and he had two he had eight bedrooms he slept in a different bedroom every night for fear that someone would slip in and assassinate him how different the apostle paul who said i prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the lord we lose our fear of death we have victory over doubt when president eisenhower was older and had come to the end of his life he called for Billy Graham, wanted to talk with him. And so Dr. Graham went over to visit with him and he said, Billy, I want you to tell me again, how can I be sure my sins are forgiven and that I'm going to heaven? And so Billy went through it with him again, telling him, you put your faith in Jesus and by his grace you're saved and so forth. Dwight Eisenhower said, thank you. I'm ready. You see, when we really know Jesus Christ, we know where we're going. Our doubt is gone. Not because, you see, I, I, I'm not counting on my worthiness to get me to heaven. I'm counting on his worthiness to get me to heaven. We have victory over condemning conscience because his grace justifies us. Let me conclude. There were three crosses on Calvary that day. There was a cross of rejection. There was one thief who rejected Jesus, who mocked him. If you're the son of God, save yourself and us. Come on down. He rejected Jesus and he died in his sins. Another cross. The cross of redemption. There was another thief there. And at first, he also joined in mocking Jesus, the rejection of Jesus, but then he repented. And he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He died to sin. There's a third cross, the cross of reconciliation. Jesus was on that cross. He died innocently. He never sinned. He died without sin. He died vicariously. He died for me and he died for you. He died for sin. One man died in sin. One man died to sin. And one died for sin. Max Licato wrote, God sat in silence while the sins of the world were placed upon his son. Was it right? No. Was it fair? No. Was it love? Yes. In a world of injustice, God once and for all 
tip the scales in the favor of hope. That's what the cross says. A man dying on Calvary to pay for your sins and my sins, that if we put our faith in him, we become his child. Gracious Father in God, we thank you for the sacrifice that has been made by the Lord Jesus. And Lord, I thank you that you love us with that kind of love, a love that we can't imagine, certainly we couldn't describe. Lord, I pray today for those who need to come to know Christ as Savior, who have never been forgiven of their sin, who are struggling with this unbearable load on their life. Father, today I pray that they might come to Christ and be forgiven and become your child. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir is going to sing a hymn of invitation. And my friend, this invitation is extended to you because Jesus died for you. He took all of your sins upon himself that he might cancel the debt that was against you. Would you receive him today? Would you receive Christ into your heart and life? There are going to be staff members here. We'd love to pray with you and talk with you. There's some looking for a church home. Our doors are open to you. We'd love for you to be a part of our family. You come also. Stand with me, please. As we stand together, the choir sings. As they sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.